budgeting my arch nemesis now I'll be honest, I've never really been the best at budgeting. And yes, I know it kind of goes against the norm for someone who is invested in reaching their FI goal. But you see, for me, it's always created more stress for me having to budget for every single nickel and dime spent on my everyday life that it's just never really worked for me long term. Now, I've always felt somewhat guilty for not having a proper budgeting system in place until I had a conversation with our guest today. She opened my eyes to what she calls the anti-budgeting method, which is essentially a system where you pay yourself first before all else without worrying about budgeting for every single thing in your life. I've always had the mentality of allocating that time towards my business versus budgeting because I know if I put those hours towards my business, I'm going to yield a far greater return versus the money I would have saved budgeting. So be sure to tune in as it may have you look at budgeting through a different lens. And we also do a deep dive on the profit first method for business owners, which I also thought was very interesting. Now, as a quick side note, before we dive into the episode, you've probably noticed some changes to our show. Going forward, we're very excited to announce that we'll be pushing out two episodes a week now, not one, but two. And every Monday, you'll also be getting quick hit episodes focused on mortgage and real estate specific topics while also diving deep on them. And kind of a title to this, we call these episodes Mortgage Mondays. We love alliteration. And every Friday, you'll also be getting episodes focused on financial independence. So we'll be touching on investing, entrepreneurship, while also focusing on guests who are either experts in these topics of discussion or someone who has reached FI. So for these episodes, we call these Freedom Fridays. So if you're new to the show, my name is Tom Moffitt, and I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host Brandon Love. Our show is geared towards helping Canadians achieve financial independence through real estate, investing, and entrepreneurship. So if that sounds like you, be sure to follow along. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Invested Entrepreneur. Brandon Love here with Tom Moffat. And today we have a special guest, the money coach, Angie Ross. She is going to talk to us about a lot of the mistakes that we see in both individuals and business owners and just walk us through a bit of her investment journey. And there's some great takeaways. We were just chatting with Angie before we hit record, and there's already things I know that we are looking back and looking forward to peeling back the cover on. So welcome to today's episode, and thanks for joining us, Angie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you guys because obviously, you know, I've been some investment properties, so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Awesome. Well, it's really great to have you. And you were just saying that you had a background as a high school teacher, and I always find it interesting when people with like very strong careers and pensions and everything lined up there, then say, you know what, I'm going to take the plunge into the scary world of entrepreneurship and go all in there. And obviously, it's very passion driven for you. But I always love to figure out kind of what was the why, what was the driving forces there? Yeah, so I was teaching personal finance at the high school level, so grade 12 mainly. And what was happening is parents were asking me for advice. So they kept coming to me and saying, we don't have anyone that will give us unbiased money advice because I don't sell products. So when they go to their bank, the bank obviously is trying to, you know, give them some advice in a certain area and lead them into the bank's products. And so that kind of opened up my eyes a little bit. And then the pandemic happened. If you were at the school during the pandemic, it was a disaster. And so I realized I kind of wanted to get out. I was feeling stagnant. So I started to look into how I could get out, what I could do, but still maintain that financial literacy element 
And that is kind of how I got into money coaching. But quite honestly, you're talking about the golden handcuffs. Yes, I felt those for sure. And it was a bit of a struggle. It took me a few years to kind of get my head around how I was going to do it. So at my household, we actually did a cash flow plan. I call it my anti-budget. And we looked at our money because we certainly were not optimizing it. We found $2,000 a month we were spending on crap we didn't care about. And that was about half my take-home pay. So what I was able to do is go part-time teaching, start to build my business. And then once I started to build my business, then we actually bought an Airbnb in Mont-Tremblant, which gave us some more cash flow. And then I was able to escape what I felt was kind of like a prison, but the golden handcuffs are off. So here I am. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. When I was in high school, I also felt like it was a prison as well. You didn't have Angie as a teacher. That's why. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's really cool that your school had like a finance. Yeah, I was called. thinking the same. That's progressive. I actually created the course at my school. Okay. So ah, they, it's like they have these interdisciplinary courses, which basically means the teacher gets to kind of create the content. And so I did that. And quite honestly, I love the kids. Like I still love the kids, teens, young adults. Like I just love talking with them, sarcasm, you know, the whole thing. But it was just the institution that was kind of, I don't know, drowning me or suffocating yeah. me. So I needed a change. Nice. Like, have you ever thought about creating a program to then sell to the schools and going that route? That's just my entrepreneur mind kind of spinning. I know you're great, right? The schools, have you tried to sell something to schools? Maybe in the States or something. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. The schools, I mean, if there was toilet paper in the bathroom when I went in there, I felt like it was a good day. So, <laughs> so you know, they're very tight with their money. I actually gave the program, one of my colleagues is now using it, which is great. She's using it at the school level. Considered, I have a lot of like people who just graduated college or university that come to me to help them build their cash flow plan. And so that's kind of how I'm operating now. But I use all of the material, like all the financial literacy material on my own. I have not tried to sell to the school. I'm like, the word school. I'm like, yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like you're just doubling down on what you're doing best. It sounds like you have a great model teaching parents, families, adults how to essentially increase their cash flow and save on their debts, correct? Like those are the two main services. Yeah, I like to say maximize their money because okay. there's so many people out there that are making really good money. And at the end of the month, they're like, where the hell did it go? Right. And so they look around like, how come these people can do this? I used to get this question all the time. You're a teacher, like you're going to go into investment properties. How are you doing that? So just it's, I'm going to show people how to maximize their money so they can get more out of it. And also if it's debt eradication is a big one as well, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people are using their lines of credit or credit cards to kind of get by on a month to month basis. And so we help them get out of that too. Nice. Very cool. Just to circle back on when you dropped down to part-time and then you started I guess at that point, it was more of a side hustle. And then it grew to a full fledged business. Like, can you kind of give us the listeners a timeline there? Because I know there's a lot of people listening that are thinking about either starting a side hustle, or they're just starting. And these are the things that they kind of want to hear about someone that has done it successfully. Well, yeah, so I was a part time teaching for a year. And then I got out. So I basically was doing the money coaching for a year. Now I will say a couple of things really helped me. I was known in the community as teaching personal finance. So I've already had established that trust to some degree. Second thing that I did was I sought out a mentor. I decided right away, I'm willing to like get someone, pay someone, use their program, do whatever I need to do to kind of get some steps. Right. And so I started working with someone and now we work together. 
she actually does a lot of small business cash flow overhauls and I do the personal more so, but I think that really elevated my growth and got me going a lot quicker. And sometimes people are afraid to invest in that type of thing. And I would suggest that it probably took a few years off of the process. So those are kind of the two things that I did. Yeah. I love that. We always say like, there's something that could open up your business to 120,000, but it's going to cost 10. And so many people clutch their wallet and they won't let go of the 10,000 that it's going to cost to get there. I think it's huge to invest in that training and those pieces to get you ahead. Yeah, I love it. The other thing I did too, actually, was to differentiate myself from other money coaches is I did this designation called a certified cash flow specialist, which you don't actually have to have the designation or any kind of certification to be a money coach. So like Joe on the street who has $80,000 of credit card debt could be like, I'm a money coach. So I think that was a big deal as well, because it really gave me those credentials and kind of pushed me ahead of some of the competition. Nice. So the money coach thing is kind of like the life coach thing where you don't need the certification, but you have a lot of people hanging around being like, I'm a life coach. Okay, what have you done? Not much yet. I'm just coaching other people through it. So it's great to see that certification. And we always say, put your money where your mouth is. And you're doing that through your investment properties, going all in on your business and things like that. You mentioned a term that I hadn't heard before. And I'm assuming a lot of our listeners hadn't as well. And it was called an anti-budget. So can you go over what that is? Yeah, I kind of made that up. So anyways, there's that. Um, (laughs) Because budgets actually fail for 79% of people. So I'm a numbers gal. I cannot jive with that. Those numbers are terrible. So I'm not going to put someone onto a budget and watch them fail like a month later. I like to say, don't hate the player, which is us. Hate the game budgets because the tool is broken. And so what I created, well, what I use, my partner, April and I, we created this, but essentially what I use with my anti-budget is we flip the script on how we allocate our money. So instead of taking our income, subtracting our expenses, and then whatever's left, we're going to put towards vacation or saving, retirement, investing, whatever it is, investment property. We actually take those items that we care about and we put our money towards them first, and then we get to spend whatever's left over guilt-free. So what ends up happening is you actually only end up tracking one number instead of tracking all of these items. And so it's a lot less tedious and you're taking care of those things that you value Mm -hmm. first. And so that's really how I got out of teaching, to be honest. And it's how we bought the investment properties. We're allocating our money based on our values. Yeah, I love that idea. I think it's really cool also for people like Tom and I who are like month to month, you know, January, February is slower in real estate. So we might make less money, but then like April, May, June, we're making probably 70% of our whole year in those three months. And so you have these like massive times where traditional budget doesn't really make sense. And I'm sure a lot of business owners, it's the same thing where it's seasonal in nature or bursts and then downturns. And so you have this time where you're like, okay, well, you know, it's feast or famine in a traditional budget mindset. So it's really good to have that idea. Actually, I did that this year. I topped up all my investments in the first week of January. I set aside the money that was going to be my budget for the whole year so that I could travel and not feel guilty about booking trips. And then I set aside what I thought could go to another property or form of investment as well. So I guess in a way I kind of did that, but uh, I like the anti-budget term because I've always felt the budget itself didn't work. (laughs) It it doesn't, right? And if you're part of the 21% of people that it works for, great. Keep on keeping on. We probably aren't friends (laughs) because when we go out, you're probably like tracking like the coffee that you bought. I can't stand that. I've tried it. It's a tough. The other thing about budgets like I hate is that it creates a lot of shame and guilt. Like you'll be tracking your gas expense. So if the gas prices go up 
and you're looking at your budget and you're like, oh my God, I went over in gas. You had to get to work. Mm -hmm. What is feeling guilty about that? And what is the purpose of spending your time on that, right? It's not going to be effective long-term. I 100% agree with that. I've always wondered why people get so up in arms about gas prices. It's like, you can't control this right now. There's so many other things you can save in your day-to-day. Like, don't even worry about the gas right now. But like, I tried budgeting, I want to say maybe like a year and a half, two years ago. And we stuck to it for two months. And it was the same thing for us. It was like, we had two issues. Like the first issue was like Brandon said, like with commissions being slower in some months and higher in the others, it's harder from a business or entrepreneur standpoint to have a traditional budget. And then the second thing was it was hard to keep on with it because of you're calculating everything, you're looking at every single expense, and it creates this extra stress. And it veers you away from wanting to stick to it. So I agree with that. And it makes sense. Once you explain it that way, the anti-budget, I think, yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is like, it causes stress in your partnership as well. Like if I'm like, Hey, why did you drive to work? And it was an extra $10 in gas. He's like, pardon me. Like I have to go to work. (laughs) So it's just like silly conversations that aren't going to have an impact overall. And I think that we can kind of reduce those and actually have a system will make an impact and is far less stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. So what's the number one mistake that you see people making in their budgets, either as individuals, or you can even take it and apply it directly to business owners? Yeah, I think it's a lack of recognition of irregular expenses. So I'll give you some examples. Christmas just finished, right? People are waiting for those credit card bills to come in. They're coming in right about now or maybe last week. And people have not factored those costs in. And I don't know about you guys, but at my house, this year we spent $2,700 on Christmas. No shame in my Christmas game. That includes hosting. It includes liquor. It includes everything. Okay. But if I was waiting until January and I didn't have any money saved for that, that's a huge pile of cash going out in January that I'm just not ready for. And so most people are using credit cards to deal with that or lines of credit to deal with that. And so when I'm building an anti-budget for people, we actually factor the irregular expenses in. So the typical ones are Christmas, vacations, House and car repairs, which a lot of people call emergencies, and I hate to tell them this, but if you own a car, a car repair is not an emergency, it's inevitable. So you should be saving for that, right? And so what we do is we actually build life jacket funds for those within the anti-budget. And you guys have probably heard of sinking funds before, but basically it's saving on a monthly basis for these items that are irregular, but are inevitably going to come up. Mm -hmm. I call them life jacket funds because sinking sounds terribly negative to me. And I think that these life jacket funds are actually preventing our cash flow from sinking. And so I changed the name, just like me, I make up new names, anti-budget, life jacket fund, you know, whatever, I do what I want. But essentially for Christmas now, we just saved $250 a month, high interest savings account. There's a lot of them out there. They're like 4% automatically comes out. And so really what I've done is evened out the cash flow over the year, instead of trying to take on these big irregular expenses, when they hit me kind of I mean, we know when Christmas is going to be, but like your house and car repair might just come up whenever, right? So we've taken that guesswork out of it. Yeah. So if someone has, say, like a $20,000 balance on their secured line of credit, what do you say to that person if they're like, well, I'd rather take that 250 out every month and then just pay that towards the line of credit. And then come Christmas time, I'll take it off of the line of credit to pay everything else. So that way I'm saving interest along the way. Great question. So what I would say from a mathematical perspective is correct. What I would say from a money perspective, because money's not just math, there's a whole area of behavioral finance, is that when you are doing that, what happens is you're really making that pattern, you're establishing that that pattern is okay. You're just going to constantly be in debt and using your debt to get you out. So what ends up happening in this scenario is we never, ever get out of that cycle of utilizing revolving debt 
to kind of keep us above board. And so that's why we do it this way. We still go after debt really heavily in the anti-budget method, but we also want you to have these life jacket funds established so that you get out of the pattern of relying on the debt. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not just the math behind it. And I think I'm analytical with the math. Like that's all I think about. And I don't take into consideration the behavioral aspect, but that makes sense. And I know I've struggled with that in the past too, is it's like, well, like crap, I know I can just pay that down and save on the interest there. And then I could pull it later if I need to. But yeah, I like the angle of it that there's more points of view to it than just the math. Mm -hmm. There are, and I think some people are really good with the math and they are analytical and they can maybe do what you're saying, but the majority of the population, it doesn't really work over time because they never kind of get the sense that they're getting right. ahead. Like what happened to me last Christmas was my car brakes needed to be done because I drive hard. It's just, it is what it is. And they were $800 to do. And I opened up my life jacket fund and there was like $1,500 in there. And I simply went paid That's for nice my feeling. breaks. Yeah, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Previously, I would have been like, man, $800 rate at Christmas time. What the hell? I didn't care. I was like, okay, transfer the money over, pay it off, move on with my day. Yeah, I think that's a good mindset perspective. Like it's more of an abundance mindset of doing it with your way with the life jacket fund versus Tom, when you're doing it your way with the line of credit, you're constantly going to feel this mindset of, oh shit, now this money's gone out the door. That could have been my travel fund. Or you're like nickel and diming booking that one or two week vacation you might take a year when it's like you actually have the funds for it, like you've saved up for it and you look at it and you say, you know what, I have X amount of thousands of dollars to do this. I'm just going to do it right and do it the way that's going to be best. And that mindset actually going forward, I think probably attracts more money than the other mm -hmm. mindset as well. I have another example for you there. And then you probably get this all the time from business owners is I have this money in my corporation, but I'm so scared to pull it out. Like I want to keep it in there, invest in everything else. And then when it comes to vacations, it's like, well, I'm directly pulling from my corporation. And then I know I'm being taxed at 50% of that money. So that's a huge mindset thing there. And I imagine for business owners that are along the same lines, you probably suggest the same thing and maybe taking out more per month and having that nest egg. So same logic applies, I imagine. Yeah, I like the profit first method. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But essentially, I like when people pay more tax, which your accountant right now is like, what? Who is this money coach? Did you make good money? If you're making more money, you're paying more tax. Do you want to necessarily pull it all out? No, you don't necessarily want to pull it all out and take the hit on all of it at once. But the reality is with the Profit First system, I actually have this book with me. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, it's Mike Michalowicz, Profit First. I'm not paid by him. I don't get royalties. Like I don't know the guy, but the system is great because very similar to the anti-budget, but for business owners. And so essentially what it does is it takes the idea of our profit calculation, which is revenue minus expenses equals profit. And if you look at it from that perspective, profit's the last thing, right? Mm -hmm. So he flips that formula. So instead of looking at it like that, we're looking at revenue minus profit equals expenses. And so we want to focus on profit because why else are we doing business? Mm -hmm. Not doing it, you know, for fun, I like to just be on vacation 24 seven, if I'm being honest. So we want to make money. And so what he's doing is he's limiting our expenses. And what that does is very similar to what I'm talking about. We put our money towards the things we value, in this case, profit. And then whatever's left, we can spend on expenses. And he uses very specific percentages for this. And so in that book, he would tell you exactly what you should be doing in terms of owner salary. And for anyone making under about $250,000 a year, he's saying 50% is what you want to take out of your revenue wow, for your really? salary. 
Yeah. So 50% and then you would put 30% towards your operating expenses and then about 15% towards tax because when you subtract your operating expenses from your revenue, then you're going to have a reduced tax bill and then 5% towards profit. And what that profit is, you can use that for anything. Vacation. Just talk about vacation, right? So you could use that little profit account for vacation every year and just enjoy the fact that you have had a great business year. So the same logic applies if you're sole prop or in a corporation, if you have a corporation? Yeah, within profit first, it does, correct. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Interesting. So what he actually does is he has you split it up similar to my life jacket funds in personal, he has you split up your accounts. And so you would actually have an expense account, an operating expense account, you would have a profit account, you would have a tax account, and then you would pay yourself your salary into your personal account. And so what happens is when you have money coming in, you use the appropriate percentages that he's dictated to split it into your account. And then like, let's say you want to go to this awesome retreat or something for business. And you look in your operating expense account, and you have like $10 in there, you don't have money to do it. And so it's limiting people from overspending on expenses, because that's what happens all the time in business. Business owners will justify, well, you know, and I think there's something to be said for investing in your business. I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. But there's also something to be said for doing it on an appropriate percentage basis compared to what your revenue is that you're bringing in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that can go to either direction. If you have an offensive mindset, you're probably spending more on those retreats and those marketing strategies. And if you're very defensive in your business, you're probably not spending enough. So having that auto allocation kind of shows you, you know what, maybe you're not utilizing that budget properly. And if you were in a big company, they might say, hey, why don't you use any of your marketing spend this year? And you yeah. go, well, I just wanted to hold back some more money because I felt safe. And it's like, no, that's the wrong approach. Like, so I, I like that for sure. It's very true what you say, because self-employed people I work with will be one of two types, right? They're either spending like 80% of their revenue on expenses and like more, more, more throwing that money out, or they're spending like 10%. And you're right, they're playing defensive. Listen, you need to invest a little bit more in your business. It's going to pay off. You're going to see the growth. Mm -hmm. So I think the percentages that he gives, gives you a really good idea of what's kind of appropriate. It's not going to be perfect, but it gives you a good idea of what, you know, the range would be that makes sense for your business to be profitable. Yeah, I was going to say it probably gives you a good idea of like, at least like the baseline, because for me, I know I can play very offensively and defensively with certain expenses so it's not just like one way or the other like brandon and i have different styles of where we want to spend our money in our business and i know for me like you make fun of me all the time for this brandon but like i'll pay for a course like on a limb just because like i know like investing in myself is important but maybe at some point it's too much but i don't really know until i really have the numbers in front of me which it sounds like this profit first method would at least show me that baseline and how much i have left to allocate towards courses and memberships. Yeah, that's the idea, right? It's a cash flow system. And so if the cash is there, great, awesome, go for it. If the cash is not there, okay, maybe I need to wait a few months until I've accumulated a little more cash in that operating expense fund. But the other thing too, is it makes sure that owners are paying themselves appropriately mm -hmm. because a lot of business owners will not pay themselves appropriately. And if you do the hourly wage that they're making, I'm like, oh goodness, maybe we should go work at Tim Hortons because you would be making more money, right? And it's a hard thing to tell people, but I'm like, we want to be profitable in our businesses. Like I'm all about maximizing your money and I'm all about not having that scarcity mindset, right? We're working this hard. Hell yes, I want to be bringing home some bacon, right? So that's the thing that it also allows us to focus My on. My wife is going to love this episode. <laughs> she always yeah. say, just pull more out. We want to go on more vacations. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pull it out. I'm going to be taxed on it. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, what are you going to do with it at the end with this big pile of money that's sitting there? Just, just random. I'm now uh, posing the questions. See, no, this no, is no, what hey, creates more of an engaging podcast. So I love that.
Okay. So for me, it's more so I want to keep that in there for eventually investing in whole life insurance and for real estate and more of a passive way of investing like dividends. So I want that cash in there investing in my corporation versus pulling it out and being taxed at 50%. It's not all about tax too. Like I get that, mm-hmm. but I know if I'm pulling it out I'm, and half of that money's gone, it's like, oh man, it's just a huge blow. But I know that is a big mindset piece to it. I do need to improve on. Mm-hmm. I mean, financial goals. So the first thing is, I would say that's great. Sometimes when I'm talking to self-employed individuals, they're like, well, I'm just leaving it there because, and they have no answer. Sure. I'm like, great. So when you take all of it out in five years, you're not going to be taxed, right? And they look at me like, you're not getting away with not paying tax. At some point, you're going to pay tax. And the reality is, if you take the money out now and use it for things that you like, you're maximizing your life. Yeah, yeah. So true. that's the whole reason that we have money, isn't it? Exactly. And then also make the argument that taxes in Canada aren't decreasing. They're only going to increase. So <laughs> maybe we should be taking more now as well. Yeah. Are you running for office? I should. I should. I keep my political commentary to a minimum, but you can write no, it like the there. <laughs> well, and there's something to be said too. I know taxes aren't one all be all. It's one component of it. And I think like enjoying the money you have you can argue that you're feeding your mindset in a proper way, which is going to bring in more business because you're happier in general. I know it's generalizing, but it's true. So yeah. And I think it's funny because as a money coach, people often think I'm going to be like, no, don't spend on Starbucks. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's quite the opposite. We're going to put your money towards the things you value, get more joy. Like my Montreal Blanc Airbnb, we go about six times a year with family and friends and it's the best right? It's an investment. Sure. We had to put money down on it. Awesome. There's some annoyances like dealing with, you know, QST and Quebec, QST, PST, all that. But realistically, we are just loving it when we go there. And so it was well worth that. And so I think there's a balance that I like to bring when I'm working with clients and business owners. They're not ready for it. Sometimes they're like, Oh, wait a second. You're ready to just like give up everything. I'm like, no, no, that's not the goal here. Everyone's been taught that like the anti-Starbucks budgeting, like I went down that road too. Like one of my highest performing videos on YouTube, I think I'm at like 10K views now, is this old video I did two years ago about like, hey, if you save $5 a day and cut out the Starbucks, then you can put this towards your mortgage and save on X amount of interest and blah, blah, blah. And like made sense and it's all well and good. But now I look at that and I cringe. I'm like, man, I'm not of that mindset anymore. And I wish I didn't have that, but it's performing well. So I'm going to keep it up there. (laughs) You're like, and you can find it by clicking on this link. No, (laughs) I think the thing is that you don't have to worry about what you're spending on if you allocate towards those goals first, right? Which is the whole anti-budget thing. So like I have a pile of money left. I'm a golf addict, which means, I don't know, I'm trapped in this 40-year-old woman's body, but I'm a golf addict. And I spend a ton of money on golf. My husband really loves that. But realistically, it's after we've taken care of all of our financial goals. And so it doesn't matter. Like we have our goals laid out. We put the money towards it. And here's a pile of money at the end. And I'm like, going golfing. He's like, okay. And so that's just the same thing. If it's Starbucks that you love and you want to put the money towards that, awesome. You've already taken care of your financial goals. That's the key piece. Yeah, I love that. And I think really a key takeaway from this for everyone is to focus on the things that matter first. And then have the abundance mindset with everything that's left over. And it's such a big shift. And I think it's huge. And from a perspective where it actually changes your whole scope on and outlook of your business, the health of your business, and kind of your passion for things, because you don't feel like you're constantly just working to be a dragon hoarding gold in a cave. You're now like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go spend a week here. or I'm going to spend some money going golfing. I'm going to do this and reap some of the rewards 
in real time of the work I'm putting in, but not at the sacrifice of those long-term goals and other things that matter. Exactly. I don't want to be 80 sitting on a pile of money. Like, I mean, I want to be 80 sitting on a pile of money, but I also want to have enjoyed myself on the route to getting there, right? right? You know, it's honestly, we work so hard, especially self-employed individuals. We're on the clock like 24 seven. And I feel like we need to give ourselves a little bit of leeway and actually maximize and enjoy our money. 100%. So with the accounts, like with the profit first method, is it seven accounts that you're setting up if I counted correctly when you went through all of them? Seven. Yeah. Okay. So I have one for my operating expenses, which is actually where I collect when I invoice someone and they pay me, that's where the money okay. goes. So it's kind of my main checking account. Then I have an account for profit. Okay. I have it set up as a high yield savings account, but I am not a corporation. So if you're in a corporation, you have to have a business account for that. Personally, I have it in a high yield savings account in NEO, which is a whole nother thing. Then I have one for taxes, like HST, right, that I put the money aside. I have one for taxes, which is for my personal income taxes, because the company is going to pay for that for me. And then I also have one, I send myself money for my salary, but that goes into my personal account. Okay. So from a business perspective, you're having the operating expenses, you're having the taxes set aside, you're having the profit set aside, and then HST if you need that as well. So it's not so bad. Okay. And for someone that's like, well, it's like overwhelming, obviously the first step would be maybe even just reading the book to get a better sense of it and where to start. Yeah. The book has the percentages as well that you should use based on your level of revenue. So that's really helpful as well because it does change based on revenue. And then it also has how to set it up. But quite honestly, I read the book and I was able to set it up myself without much of a problem. If you are a sole proprietor or you don't have a ton of employees, et cetera, then it's pretty easy to set it up yourself. If you're in a more complex business situation, you may want some help doing it. And so there are Profit First certified individuals that can help. I work with one. I'm not Profit First certified. I help people that are self-employed when I'm working on a personal level to do this. But if it gets really complex, I send them to April, who I work with, and she helps them with that because she's Profit First certified. Right. Okay, cool. And I know I'm going to put you on the spot because you told me to. <laughs> if you had one tip, one takeaway for a listener here from like a budget perspective, whether they're sole prop or not even a business owner, like just an individual, what would that one tip be? Mm, I have a couple. Am I allowed to share more than one? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. First one, actually, and this is people are going to be like, eh, use cash for certain items. And I'm going to tell you why. They've proven that using cash, you save 25%. You spend 25% less. So the items, mm -hmm. actually food, retail, entertainment, nothing else. Oh. Like I love my okay. Visa card. I have lots of people that say, oh, my Visa card, I get rewards points. Yes. If you do the math on the rewards points, you're probably getting one to 2% rewards and you're saving 25% by using cash. So I don't know. Numbers, growl. it seems pretty obvious to me that you can take the extra savings and put it aside for your flight, but that's just me. Um, so using cash is a really good one. I do some reels on that on Instagram as well. I use cash for my unconscious items only. The other one is you need to flip how you're doing things. Probably heard of pay yourself first. That's what a life jacket fund is. You're paying yourself first and putting your money aside towards what you care about before you spend the rest. So that is the big message here is assess what it is that you care about and start putting your money towards that first and use a high yield savings account to store that. Because for example, we have a house and car repair fund that's like sitting at four or five grand. I'm going to knock on some wood here. We've had some good luck recently and we haven't had to use it. And it's paying me out 4% interest right now. Right? I'm just, just waiting there. for something yeah. to happen, but I'm still making some money off of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to pull that out. Yeah, I need. like savings accounts right now, the interest is super high, which is great. Mm -hmm. If someone were to say like, well, instead of doing that, why don't I just put that into like, ETF or something, what would your thoughts be on that? My thoughts 
that's our depends when you need the money out, right? If your car repair happens and all of a sudden the ETF's down, now what do you do? <laughs> or mutual fund, something safer. Like I guess your return is still going to be pretty similar to the 4% in savings. Yeah, so I definitely not... wouldn't touch mutual fund with it because you're paying fees on that. Yeah. And that's a long-term play. And so with your life jacket fund, they're short-term plays. You're probably going to use the money within a year. Yeah. If you're talking about emergency savings and those types of things, that might be a bit different. As it starts to build up, you may look right. for something more substantial. But with your short-term life jacket funds, I would stick to the 4%. And there's a really great company. Again, I don't work for them. They're called Neo, N-E-O. It's actually the guys that created Skip the Dishes. So it's an app and you can do savings buckets. So you can have up to 10 differently named accounts and they're paying 4% on those high yield savings accounts. So again, I have a house and car repair fund. I have a Christmas one. I have vacation fund. And why would I do that instead of just throwing it all into one account? Well, what happens when people throw it into one account is they see this big number and they're like, yes, vacation. They go to Jamaica, they blow it all. They come back and their car breaks down on the way home from the airport. And they're like, oh, now what? I spent my car and house repair fund. So it helps, again, to allocate where that money should be going to. Yeah, then it becomes, Very now cool. we need to do a refi and call Brandon and Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good for you guys, right? Good for you guys. Yeah, but no, we don't like to see those those scenarios where people are forced to do it. You know, we prefer to see our clients doing refis to do things like investing in growth strategies versus like debt consolidations. Not, we obviously have to do it sometimes, but it's never our choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Angie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You've really shown a light on a lot of ways that we can improve both our business finances and also listeners' personal finances. Really think that mindset takeaway is a huge one as well. And one that I know I'm going to apply to my life and have some conversations in my household a bit. So I really appreciate it. For our listeners who want to find you, Angie Ross dot money coach on Instagram is the way and you share kind of three tips there frequently. And they can also book a call with you if they want to go further down the rabbit hole. So thank you for coming on with us. Anytime. This is fun, energetic. And thanks for throwing all those questions at me. I love it. No problem. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm.